It's been a long journey, and we're not quite there, but myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, this here podcast of Let Me Tell You Something, have reached a significant milestone in our Meltzer Five Star journey throughout the year of 2019, as we have reached the 100th match with the Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega Wrestle Kingdom semi-main event no DQ match on the 4th of January 2018. The 100th match that Dave Meltzer gave five stars to. And so that means, or or more. And that means means. that it's list redrafting time. So, Simon, shall we give people a reminder of what we had as our mutual, as our our individual top tens and our mutual top 20? uh, Top five, sorry. Yes, uh, yes, we shall. Uh, as if our podcast was a person, right now it opens its telegraph from the Queen. We will uh, telegram, recap not telegraph. you. I said telegraph. Yeah, Tele- telegram. Gram. Whatever. Ah, old people read uh, those sorts of newspapers. It's fine. I did like when um, Boris Johnson was having to like all his stuff. They were try- the, the the opposition. Everyone was trying to get all his information of contacts subpoenaed and everything and they included emails whatsapp messages and telegrams <laughs> but apparently that's an app so uh I yes assume, like maybe the a in telegram isn't there so it's technically telegram or it's an at symbol yeah maybe i'm not down with the kids no well i am down with is a list a good list oh, <laughs> so let's have your list first simon <laughs> what were your 10 to 1 so, uh, at number 10... Or shall we just was... do we take it in turns? Um, yeah, we can take it in turns. So, your number 10... Was uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada. Uh, 7th of April, 2013. My number 10 was also a New Japan match, but it was the other two members of this new Four Pillars of Heaven of sorts, I suppose you could say, as Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito faced off in the B-Block finals of the 2016 G1 Climax on the 13th of August. My number nine is Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, their third outing out of the four that were rated five star, which was at... Clash of the Champions 6. Clash of the Champions 6. To clarify to some people who would have thought the third was a different match, we'll come to that one later. My number nine was... Another New Japan match from the 2010s. It was Hiroshi Tanahashi defending his IWGP Heavyweight Championship against the once handsome, now not so much, but don't tell him I said that, Minoru Suzuki on the 8th of October 2012. My number eight was Kenta Kabashi and his surname alliterated namesake Kikuchi taking on Doug Furness and Dan Crawford. That was my number eight as well. Great minds think alike and so do we. Wait. At number seven, it is Flair. It is Steam 
Steamboat. It is Wrestle War 89, the fourth of their five-star quadrilogy. 7th of May, 1989. My number seven is a six-man tag team clash from the 2nd of April, 1991, between the Super Generation Army of Mitsuharu Masawa, Toshiaki Kawada, and Kenta Kabashi against Jumbo's Army of Jumbo Saruta, Akira Tawe, and the shithouse Masanobu Fushi. My boy! Sorry. I just love him. <laughs> oh, and as uh, I take off the, well, not just even rose-tinted glasses, glasses whenever I look at him, I look at number six of my list, and it is <clears throat> Misahara Misawa and Kenta Kabashi taking on uh, the Holy Demon Army of Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawe on the 12th of March, 1995. No! no! Every time! <laughs> On the 3rd of December, Every 1995. Time. Every bloody time. <laughs> Just write it out longhand. 3rd of December. That's what I said the second time. It's fine. Just say it the first time for once. <laughs> It was an explosion of the babyface team from that combination, as it was Kenta Kabashi facing off against Mitsuharu Masawa for the All Japan Triple Crown Championship on the 31st of January, 1998. My number five uh, was those adversaries joining back up as it's Mitsuharu Masaru and Kenta Kabashi taking on the Holy Demon Army, this time on the 9th of June, 1995. I'm going to screw that one up. My number five was the six-star match of Wrestle Kingdom 11 between Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega on the 4th of January, 2017. My number four has already featured on Lorcan's list. It is Jumbo, Masawa, Kabashi... Against no, no you got Jumbo. Ah, bloody hell. I just love Jumbo so much, I think he'd be a babyface. That's all that is. But actually, in actuality, it's Jumbo, Tawe, and Fushi against Kawada and Kabashi. 2nd of April, 1991. I said that. Oh, you may have just like blipped out there for a second. My number four is my sole WWE match on this list, as it's the precursor it's got stick in it the starting firing shot of the attitude era to many as bret hart and stone cold steve austin locked up at wrestlemania 13 under submission rules and one man entered a hero one man entered a villain but that wasn't how it ended or was it in bronze medal position the uh, Alan Baxter, before uh, Vix cost him her medal, very obscure reference there, I know, uh, is Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, 4th of January 2016. The ultimate torch passing. Mine is a match that Simon had previously listed at number 5. It's Masawa and Kabashi against the Holy Demon Army of Kawada and Tawe on the 9th of June, 1995. My number two is day one of day, Big Dave's ratings breakers. It's Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada 
Wrestle Kingdom 2017, which is obviously the 4th of Jan. That was my number five, your number two. But my number two remained what it has been for quite a while, and that was Ric Flair against Ricky Steamboat at WrestleWar 89. And coming in at number one, still there, with all the six-star matches that have been thrown in its face. Well, not yet. There are going to be a few more after this one, so let's see if it sticks around again. What is it, Simon? Because I've got on one side of the ring Mitsuhara Masawa. Who's on the other side of the ring? Toshiaki Kawada. It's the third of what? June. Of what year? 1994. And it was still at number one. But then we've had a lot of matches in between then. A year's worth. Over 365 days after the previous one was the 90th five-star match. On the 100th five-star match, we were a year on to the 4th of January 2018. So let me just run down those 10 matches. Eight from New Japan, two from PWG that Dave Meltzer gave five stars to. Firstly, he gave one to an IWGP Intercontinental Championship match as Tetsuya Naito defended against the unbreakable Michael Elgin. Then we have an IWGP heavyweight title defense as Kazuchika Okada defended the title against the wrestler Katsuyora Shibata on the 9th of April 2017. Another two months down the road and we have the Best of the Super Juniors final for 2017 as Kushida faced off against the defending Best of the Juniors champion Will Ospreay. Then it was followed up a mere eight days later at Dominion 2017 by the six and a quarter star rematch between Kazuchika Okada and Kenny Omega. Our 95th match comes two months later at the G1 Climax as we get a trilogy of block finals and grand final. First on the 11th of August, it was Tanahashi against Naito to decide who won A block. Then on the 12th of August, a day later, it was Okada Omega 3 to decide the B-Block winner. And then at the grand final, another day later, a weekend of five-star matches. Spoiler warning for the two other matches. Naito faced Omega in a rematch of the A-Block, the B-Block final of 2016 and number 10 on my previous top 10 list. We then went to PWG. And it was the quarterfinals of the 2017 Battle of Los Angeles tournament as the mighty kaiju big battle in human form (laughs) that was Donovan Dijak against Keith Lee. Staying at PWG a month later on the 21st of October at the All-Star Weekend, Zack Sabre Jr. faced off against Volta, making their debuts on this show. And they will come back at a later date. And then finally, to round it out, the 100th match as we got into the triple digits. If this were cricket, we'd be acknowledging the people on all sides of the ground. But it's a lot more exciting than that. It's Kenny Omega against Chris Jericho for the IWGP United States title fought under the rarely used in New Japan no DQ rules. I handed out a fair few five stars during that run. Simon did too. Let's see how it's affected our overall top tens. I think I out five-starred you on this stretch of ten. Very possibly did. Um, Although we were a bit more thrifty over the last three. But Simon, let's start things off here. And let's see if you've even got any new entries. What is your number ten? My number ten 
One second, just clearing my throat for the dramatic effect. <clears throat> checking your notes to make sure you've actually written it down or anything. How dare you question my professionalism? It is frantically. Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat at Clash of the Champions 6. So we have one new entry in Simon's list. That's very interesting. Because number 10 on my list is a new entry. Ooh. It's the rematch from the six-star match. It's the six-and-a-quarter-star match. Dominion 2017, 11th of June. Kazuchika Okada defends again against seven stars, Kenny Omega. Ah, okay, okay. See what I did there? I did see what you did there. Okay, um, at number nine, it is the Canam Express against... Kenta Kabashi and um, first name Kikuchi. Soyoshi I really don't know. That. that is also my I number know. nine, Simon. A mutual Ooh. number nine. So what's your Okey number eight? That implies that there's another new entry in your list somewhere. Mm. Cheeky. Mm. My number eight. It's back to Ric Flair. It's back to... Well, it's not Amy Winehouse, back to Black, but it's back to Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It's Wrestle War 89. My number eight, making a one-place one drop, it's the six-man tag between the Super Generation Army and Jumbo's Army on the 2nd of April, 1991. We start off at my double here of tag team wrestling. It is Mitsuhara Misawa. It is Kenta Kabashi. It's going against Toshiaki Kawada and Akira Tawa of the Holy Demon Army. 3rd of December 1995. That was what the drum roll was for. (laughs) My number 7 is another one is taking another one digit drop. It's Mitsuhara Masawa against Kenta Kabashi for the Triple Crown on the 31st of January, 1998. My number six is also uh, Misawa and Kabashi taking on the Holy Demon Army, but this takes place slightly earlier, 9th of June, 1995. My number six is my highest new entry. It's Kazuchika Okada. Against Katsuyori Shibata on the 9th of April. His unintended finale for the wrestler. But what a finale it was. It was a hard-hitting war. My number five is the Super Generation Army against Jumbo's Army. So 2nd of April 1991. So there's still a new entry for Simon, but I'm just going to go and repeat my top five as it was before. Nothing else has nothing's been able to break through that glass ceiling. So at number five, it's Okada Omega at Wrestle Kingdom on the 4th of January 2017. The six-star match that broke Dave Meltzer for the next two years. My number four was Bret Hart against Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13 on the 20th of March 1997. Number three, it's Masao, it's Kabashi, it's Kawada, it's Tawe, it's the 9th of June, 1995. It wasn't a 4-way, it was a tag team match. Number two, it's WrestleWar 89, it's Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat, maybe the Citizen Kane of pro wrestling matches. And if it's not that, then maybe it's this one, because it's the original six-star match at number one for me. Masao, Kawada, 3rd of June, 1994. But Simon, 
this is where the excitement lies because you have four left to reveal and you've got a new entry in there somewhere. Is it next? poking its head through? Is it coming up next or is it still got a while until it's unveiled? Well, it's not coming up next because next is Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Ooh. Kazuchika Okada, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 2016. And what's coming in at number three then? Number three, it's Kenny Omega, it's Kazuchika Okada, it's the 11th of June 2017. My number 10. Now, that means my top two remains unchanged, and that is as follows. Number two is still Kenny Omega against Kazuchika Okada, but this one's at Wrestle Kingdom in 2017. And my number one remains... Mitsuhara Misawa versus Toshiaki Kawada, 3rd June 1994. All Japan still rules the roost. So I think it's a case of us still, of us actually having one more mutual one than we had before. Uh, we have seven matches that both are found in both of our list, that are found in both of our lists. Your unique matches are Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat at Clash 6. Uh, Masawa Kabashi against Kawada Tawe on the 3rd of December, <laughs> 1993. And Tanahashi against Okada on the 4th of Ju- January, 2016. My three that aren't on your list include one new entry. So it's Masawa Kabashi, 31st of January, 1998. Yep. My new one that isn't on your list, Okada Shibata, 9th of April, 2017. And I have Bret Hart v. Steve Austin at uh, WrestleMania 13. So well, that means you got three then, because you still have... Um... Yeah, I said we both have three. Oh, no, it means you got four then, because don't you have Naito Omega? No, that got locked off my list. Ah. Number ten on my list was a new entry of Okada Omega, which was your number three. Right, sorry. So the question is, does anything get knocked off of our mutual lists? And I don't think it does, really, because the new entry is Okada Omega. You have it as high as three. I have it at ten. But we both have the... What is number five at the moment, which is the six-man tag, Saruta's Army against the Super Generation Army. I have that at number eight, and you have that at number five. So that brings them actually both up to adding to 13. Yeah, they tie. So then the question becomes twofold, and why I would make the case of it being the six man that remains in that list. Uh, I don't. I would like us to not have the same match twice if we can avoid it in the list. Though that may also become another uh, key debating point. Inevitability in the next, in the next few matches. Um, but until then, uh, I think the fact that we both have it higher than. Omega Okada at the lower points. And I just think okay. it's to have a wider... Although it doesn't mean that we've still got three All Japan matches as opposed to two <laughs> matches and one NWA match and two uh, all New Japan matches. But you get where I'm well, coming from. It still means that we've got a tag match, six-man tag, and then three singles matches. Yes, yes. It does keep variety in, in the list. I'm happy to keep it, mainly because it's got Masanobu in it. Yeah. And something tells me we don't want to be debating having three of one particular match maybe in the very near future so just to quickly reiterate then my top 10 are at number 10 okada omega 2 at dominion 2017 number 9 kabashi and kikuchi against furnace and crawford on the 25th of may 92 8 jumbo's army against super generation army april 1991 number 7 masawa kobashi for 
the All Japan Triple Crown match, 31st of January 1998. At number six, a new entry, the highest new entry, Okada Shibata on the 9th of April 2017. Number five, Okada Omega, the six-star match, Wrestle Kingdom, January 4th, 2017. Number four, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, WrestleMania 13 submission match, 1997, March of that year. 93, uh, number 3, sorry, Misawa Kabashi against Kawada Tawe on the 9th of June, 95. Number 2, Flair Steamboat Wrestle War 89. And number 1, Misawa Kawada for the Triple Crown on the 3rd of June, 1994. Simon, let's give him a quick rundown of your top 10 once more. Okay, number 10 is Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat at Clash of the Champions 6. Number nine is Kabashi and Kikuchi versus the Can-Am Express. Number eight is Ric Flair versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat at WrestleWar 89. Number seven is Mitsuharu Masaru and Keta Kabashi taking on the Holy Demon Army, 3rd December 1995. You won that one Number two six is... one. <laughs> you won that best of three. Number six is the uh, same individuals, this one taking place on the 9th of June 1995. Same Number five as well. Same combinations, yes. Uh, number five is the Super Generation Army versus Jumbo's Army, 2nd April 1991. Number four, it's Wrestle Kingdom. It's Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada taking place in 2016. Number three is Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada, 11th June 2017 at Dominion. <clears throat> Kenny Omega versus Kazuchika Okada are... The combination for number two, but this one takes place at Wrestle Kingdom in 2017. Number one remains Mitsuhara Misawa versus Toshiaki Kawada, 3rd June 1994. Well then, that was quite the rundown. And just to give you another reminder, our mutual top five, it stays the same as it was last time. Despite a, an annus mirabilis of 2017's five-star matches... We still have, at number 5, Jumbo's Army against the Super Generation Army on the 2nd of April, 91. Number 4, Masawa and Kabashi against Kawada and Tawe on the 9th of June, 1995. Number 3, it's Flair Steamboat, WrestleWar 89. Number 2, Okada Omega, Wrestle Kingdom 2017. And at number 1, it remains the original six-star match, Masawa Kawada, the 3rd of June, 1994. So, we've done the rundowns, we've done the lists, now we talk about the alternate, a match that could have been in this top list if Dave Meltzer had deigned to give it five stars, potentially. We'll have to talk about it ourselves to see if this is one that we would give five stars to. And even though we had an almighty ten matches to be given five stars, a record at the time, only to be broken spectacularly in 2018... There was plenty to choose from as far as a five-star match, uh, as far as a non-five-star match that maybe could have got the rating as well. To give you an idea, Dave Meltzer himself in that year of 2017 gave a grand total of 21 matches, four and three-quarter stars. And given that there are years when he didn't even manage to give that to a single match, just shows you how incredible... 2017 was and what's even more remarkable is the match we're picking is one of those matches but they had the participants had had another match that Dave Meltzer had given four and a half stars to so to give you an idea of some of the matches that could have been in the running from different promotions we could have had a four point a four and three quarter star match at Royal Rumble 2017 between John Cena and AJ Styles 
Good match. We could have gone for some uh, more New Japan junior heavyweight stuff as Kushida and Hiromu Takahashi, or maybe Will Ospreay against Ricochet. We could have had Kenny Omega facing off against Tomohiro Ishii. We could have had these many G1 Climax matches, including Naito Ibushi, Omega Suzuki, Okada Elgin, Elgin Omega, Ibushi Tanahashi, or Okada Suzuki. We could have had any of those matches, maybe. What might surprise some of you is that Dave Meltzer also gave four and three quarter stars to a fatal four-way match between Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns, and Samoa Joe at SummerSlam 2017. But we haven't right. gone for any of those. We haven't gone for any of those. We didn't go for the PWG tag team match between... Uh, triple threat match between the Lucha Brothers, Ricochet and Matt Seidel and the Young Bucks. No. Simon, what we decided to choose was arguably the finest work of art to come from the West Midlands since the complete works of William Shakespeare. What have we gone with, Simon? I think you're selling Brum short as a show. Wow. That little that was car was wonderful. Really good. <laughs> We are talking about Pete Dunne versus Tyler Bate for the United Kingdom Championship at TakeOver Chicago. Of course, these two had faced off before with a slight upset on the UK Championship Tournament, the precursor to the now active, let's see how long that lasts, NXT UK brand, um, that had ended with, like like you say, the slight surprise of Tyler, Tyler Bate becoming the first United Kingdom champion at the age of 19... Can't even drink beer to yeah. celebrate um, could in, being could in, in the takeover match. He could in Blackpool. In Blackpool, yeah, but like but he probably could when he was thirteen at that point. He probably did. Yep. No, he, he didn't probably, look at his physique. He's he's, ne- he's never had carbs. Yeah, thirteen years old. He's probably only like five years into his wrestling career at that point. Yeah. We train him young in the UK. <laughs> but anyway, this was a match that a lot of people argued was the best match to happen on North American soil for the whole year, and Dave Meltzer obviously loved it. Didn't love it quite enough to give it five stars. Uh, but we rewatched this. I've watched this, I think, at, maybe coming up to half a dozen times at this point. One point, one time, I showed it to my friends who aren't wrestling fans to see what they were, and you know, it's hard to get them interested. Uh, but it kept some of them as engaged as I think a wrestling match has ever done which is a, a feast, and I think one of the reasons that that is achieved, and it's something that I think would surprise you a bit when you watch it, is how relatively short the match is. According to Wikipedia, it clocks in at a total of 15 minutes and 27 seconds, and they make those minutes and seconds count, Simon. Yeah, no, they certainly don't like outstay their welcome or go long by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, considering as well that it's very much British-style wrestling, uh, which... In Chicago, you can get away with it because it is a wrestling town. Um, but some audiences haven't been so perceptive of uh, technical map-based wrestling, I yeah. guess, is like the sports entertainment stuff over the years. There have been cases. It's British wrestling with a with a, um, a transcontinental influence to it, I would argue. the I'll agree with you that the first mat exchanges are the, maybe the first 20... Not the first 20, sorry, the first... Uh, five minutes or so of the match are very British. The way that they work the joints and locking the holds and the escaping of the holds. Because I do like how... um, I find it interesting that Johnny Saint, 
who so often cited as maybe the best of practitioner of that style, or at least maybe the most entertaining practitioner of that style, um, yeah. never liked the term chain wrestling. Because I think that suggested it was sequencing and that that meant it was like part of an overall ballet. Performance. He, performance, yes. He yeah. always liked to describe himself as an escapologist. And I think you get that. in the, There is okay. one, of the, one of the things that I like in this match, and this is something from the influence of that world of sport, British wrestling. It's not a presentation. It feels like a contest. It feels like a have highly competitive match where they're both really trying to score the win at any available opportunity and always trying to keep themselves engaged in the match. Like there's a moment, like there's a really good bit where Pete Dunn's uh, beating on um, Tyler Bates and Tyler Bates on the mat and Pete Dunn has his foot on one of Bates' feet to prevent him from escaping him. Yeah, I like he's, pin- that. he's literally like yeah, pinning him, him down, in keeping him in place. And like I said, there's just extra. There's there's so many layers of psychology and thinking it through, and and just um, fight like both men are, are wrestling with a brain in this match throughout it. No one really makes any mistakes. Um, yes, that aren't, that aren't just forced by the the other guys. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they they both wrestle with a brain, but it is emphasised that Dunn's got that extra level of tactical nous that Bate doesn't. There's that emphasis, uh, within so. the. Well, no, within the commentary and within, like his like li- little bits of viciousness and yeah. the subtle stuff like pinning his opponent in place by standing on his feet, but Bates' uh, counteract to that is sort of through his youth and through his athleticism. It's just his sheer strength and like speed. It the is- um, arm triangle spot where he grabs him and um, power bombs Bait uh, done to get free. It's beautiful just to see the. Uh, I'm going to sound like Vincent like, when he's like launching the World Bodybuilding Federation here, but the definition in his legs as he's doing it, he's mm. just a pocket rocket, basically. He's a, he's a big, strong boy. <clears throat> well, he's not big. He's just like, and they point that, that out as well. You sign it, you know. <laughs> he, um, they they point at his low centre of gravity, which yeah. enables him to he be does, so proficient at suplexing. He does look short, especially in this large arena and the large ring of the WWE. I think in Blackpool, where it was a more intimate setting, that didn't necessarily come across. And also, he was around other wrestlers of his size. I mean, Pete Dunne's not huge. He looks like he's uh, somewhere around 5'10", maybe 5'11", on his toes. Um, but he does look noticeably bigger, and obviously... And it's so funny, like, like a guy who's 5'10", 5'11", is the bullying big guy of the match. And also, the 23-year-old who still has some... Uh, you know, skin condition going on yeah. from youth is the grizzled veteran of the match as well. But he's got that fantastically nasty face, and, <laughs> and you know, he plays it I up know as well. Mean. He plays it yeah. up. Um, I do find it fascinating as, as a Brummy. I have so much pride in what Pete Dunne's doing, and I do love the fact that one of the very best wrestlers in the world right now is a Brummy. I do take some personal pride <laughs> in that. And I remember seeing him on a on a documentary, a BBC documentary, that was kind of like an, an attempt at a slightly more balanced version of Benefit Street, which had already been on yeah. BBC, on a Channel 4, where it was covering people from estates in Chelmsley Wood this time. And if you've ever been to Chelmsley Wood, you know, it's uh, it's a place that governments and uh, could have forgotten over the years or maybe never even wanted to know in the first place 
And Pete Dunne was in that with a friend of his, and they were trying to they were like trying to become like wrestlers for a living. And at that point, Pete's a little bit on the chunkier side. He's got very bad um, skin, and I just was like, my my friend who watched it said, "Do you think he could become a star?" And I was like, "Well, you know, never say never." But he doesn't seem to have any key attribute that would make him gain any attention from what I could see at that point. Yeah. And I was absolutely... Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't like the classic WWE physique by any stretch of the imagination. But because of the culture of wrestling that then changed over those years and an environment like NXT, it's funny because like Pete Dunne essentially became the face of the UK scene because he's fantastically talented, but through a weird stroke of good luck that it was around that time that all the big UK stars had signed up for New Japan or some of them were even in you know TNA or, or what have you and yeah. just at the moment the WWE started to get directly involved and in it was around the time that Pete Dunne got that final push up to winning the Progress Championship which essentially made you the de facto top guy like if it had been six months earlier and he hadn't been signed to a contract I don't doubt for a second that NXT UK would have been more likely to have been built around, say, uh, Marty Skrull. Yeah. Or Will Ospreay. Or if he hadn't uh, already decided against it after being signed up for the Cruiserweight Classic, Zack Sabre Jr. Or if he hadn't been such a standout in the Cruiserweight Classic and then essentially been ghettoized into the 205 Live division, Jack Gallagher. It was like he was in the right place at the right time and he took that opportunity and he was fantastic during the whole of the UK tournament, which was essentially built around him, even though he didn't win it in the end. Uh, it was a delayed coronation, essentially, which is what the NXT Chicago event was. Well, it's sort of great in a way when they do like marquee events and they build it around the guy that doesn't win because it's sort of like a great pat on the back in the well, sense that they're going, you don't need the belt to be big. Yeah. Yeah. But you're still going to get it down the line. You know what I mean? It's like six months earlier, Pete <clears throat> Dunne was used as essentially, not a crash map, but uh, the first one of the first times I saw him was a YouTube video of Jack Gallagher beating him for a qualification to the Cruiserweight Classic. Yeah. Like I said, he was still down on that pecking order, you know? Yeah, I, I've seen um, Pete Dunne wrestle in the flesh when I watched uh, WCPW. Um I was one of the people that got involved in the shit Jack Swagger chant at him. And that's all he looked like to me at the time, was just a bloke who sort of dressed like Jack Swagger. Because uh, I didn't know any, anything about him. And it's just mental for me to see that guy now be, as you quite rightly say, arguably in the top wrestlers in the world. Definitely, no, outside, of, definitely outside of New Japan. Yeah. He's got to be considered up there. And now he's a key figure in NXT. And you'd assume he's now going to make a step up. And sooner or later in the next couple of years, he'll be on WWE TV. And I think even though he's not the biggest guy, I think he will be presented as a threat in the mold of... I would say, arguably, even though I don't like to bring him up that often, Chris Benoit um, in the in the 2000s. Mm. You know, I could see him oh, as Benoit was of, more... Like Chris Benoit or maybe like Samoa Joe is now. Like, he won't yeah. have the belt put on him, but he could easily run with the Intercontinental or the US belt, could be part of a tag team. You know, he can be a like a solid upper-mid to lower main event card status. 
Like, he'd, yeah. he'd be in a Money in the Bank match. He'd be in an Elimination Chamber match, you know? I get what you're saying. That yeah, will at least, yeah. that will, I think that's like his bottom at this point. And his top could be far beyond that. It could be the belt. Mm. But there's so in many the interesting... Yeah, there are so many interesting influences in his uh, uh, the way that he wrestles. A lot of people have compared... I remember someone on Twitter saying he was like a cross between Taz and Dave Finley. And I can definitely see that. Uh, yeah. Dave Finley. And uh, also, there's some clear William Regal in there. Um, I see a bit of Rollable Rocco as well, actually, in the sort of temperamental... Uh, Angry character, yeah. And whereas, like, whereas Tyler Bates, a bit of a short fuse. Whereas Tyler Bates increasingly seems to have modelled a lot of his look and energy on Conor McGregor, the way that he dresses and his outlandish behaviour, and and of course he's also got that junior, you know, he's got that junior heavyweight size, but his whole thing is that he can lift up all these huge, huge guys. He can deadlift Volta and, and guys like that, you know. Yeah. Like, you could imagine him maybe, if he gets called up to the main roster eventually one day, managing to body slam Braun Strowman or something like that. Oh, that'd be such a good visual. Yeah. And I like that. The idea of a guy who's a small guy. You know, Vincent Mann has apparently, for years, wanted to do a Mighty Mouse gimmick. Like, insofar as, like, a small powerhouse. That Apparently, that's what he wanted to do with Neville, you know? Yes. If you think he was moody before... I think uh, I think it's not just Neville though. I think he's tried to do with he's had ideas to do it with a few people. But I think if it's going to work with anyone, that like, that squat small powerhouse, absolutely Tyler Bates the guy to go with it. Oh god! But anyway, let's get back to the match because, like you say, it's, it is British, but uh, it goes through stages and there's like it, they start with the British mat wrestling, then they go to the outside and they start. It starts loosening up and, and it gets nastier. And then they go into the big moves. But they, they do a bit of everything that's great. They do they do, do some high-flying insofar as, you know, Tyler Bate does a spiral tap corkscrew moonsault towards the end and a couple yeah. of dives to the outside. Uh, they do brawling when they both get up and just start. It's not even a hockey fight. I I really loved it. It was just bald fists going at it. It was, <laughs> it was more like a, you know, standing and... Standing and banging, you know, like Forrest yeah. Griffin versus Stefan Bonner in, in UFC sort of finish. And and then they start unloading the big moves. And, and, and it works because the crowd is gradually being drawn into it as it goes on. Like they're, they're receptive to begin with, but it's obvious that some of them don't know who these guys are. Because if you haven't watched the UK Championship Tournament and the one follow-up show that they've done after that, you know, it's very understandable they wouldn't necessarily know who these guys are. Like yeah. the UK chants at the start compared to the UK chant towards the end, like the you know the volume oh, yeah, no, in comparison, it, it does swell and like you're right, grow and build that quite organically sign, as well, yeah, which is a sign that they grew and built organically the match itself. You know, yeah, because there's no like crowd inter- interaction, and whilst obviously Dunn's healing, he's obviously not like flipping off the crowd or anything. No. like that like we've seen in other matches where the people are like and trying to antagonize them which again i think is because they're so focused on the sporting psychology of it being a sporting contest and you wouldn't get distracted by the crowd and they wouldn't make mistakes they wouldn't leave their opponents openings yeah and also if you follow the psychology of their previous match yes bait won but bait was taken to the limit and had to kick out of a bitter end to win the uk title I think the sense was going into it that still Bait was the underdog, even though he was the champion. It's like, can you be lucky? Not lucky, but can you defy the odds? 
how many times can you defy the odds against the guy who is he would think the uncrowned UK champion yes well um, he says in that pre-match promo like Tyler Blake's living a dream and I'm going to crush that dream mm. and that's pretty much in in um, Dunn's mind is like well somehow you won it in Blackpool but I'm going to get the result that everyone knows is the right result this time mm. So, yeah, I just think this is a great match to show a non... Like, if you had to, say, uh, force a non-wrestling fan to watch, like, five matches, I think this would be up there, you know? Another one that I actually think might be up there, just to see what, you know, to gauge someone's reception. You know, I, I said, like, two ends of the spectrum. You could either go with Shibata against Ishii, which is also only, like, 12 minutes, or you could go Young Bucks, Adam Cole against Ricochet, Matt Seidel, and um, Will Ospreay. Yeah. And this is maybe somewhere in between, in that it's not an actual just beating each other for real, but it's not a surrealist inside joke. It's a traditional wrestling match, essentially. Well, yeah, you could also maybe argue the Dragon Gate match we watched as well, in terms maybe. of, like, lunacy. Maybe. Because lunacy does bring people in. It's like it's like examples of all of the, um, not necessarily even the extremes, but like, I don't know, maybe like a Venn diagram of the different types of wrestling you could watch. Yeah. Um, would you give it five stars? Um, no, not quite. It's very, 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 very good. Um, but I don't know if it's because of the length of time. Maybe I mean we have had that discussion about how long a match needs to be. Uh, maybe that that there wasn't enough just to give what I define as obviously the X factor, the thing that just hooks you in and carries you along. Uh, not criticism, it's just they work with what they had. Um, not quite. I think I will as much through personal affection. I just love the fact, you know, in the same way that it's 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 personal as to why Bret Hart versus the British Bulldog is my favourite match of all time. And I can't necessarily say that's the best match of all time. I can just say that's my favourite match of all time. And like I said, I don't always want the five stars to be like a checklist of the requirements, you know? If it feels perfect to you then yeah go with it no and no I just, I, I just i just i just love the fact that there was an amazing match between a brummy and a yam yam <laughs> i did know? wonder when you'd get, drop the yam yam in there um no well yeah no it, as i say it's it doesn't quite have the same emotional connection for me that it does for you although Would, i do none eaten lad <laughs> no I, although i do accept that obviously emotional connection is a fact yeah uh, if, between, my great if, they were, if they were from Nuneaton and Bedworth, you'd have changed your tune. <laughs> well, if it was Nuneaton and Bedworth, it'd be a freak show in like a circus somewhere. Well, if it was Nuneaton and Bedworth, they wouldn't figure out how to read on the tickets, how to get on the plane to get there <laughs> in the first place. How dare you, I've travelled, sir. But no. Uh... Jumping on a bike <laughs> is not the same. But no, I do get your point about um, personal connections to matches. It's like. Sometimes you just don't have to be so... Is Sami Zayn versus Shinsuke Nakamura the best NXT match I've ever watched? No. But because I was in the crowd, it it has an extra something for me, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that's that's where we've gone. Um, And we're just going to cap it off now with a listener email. Simon, what do we have coming up? Let's try and make this relatively brief. No insults to the person who asked the question. But I'm getting a bit tired. Ooh, ooh a bit sleepy. Yeah. Bit of touch of the sleeps. Betty bye bye. Okay. 
Betty Pie Pies. It's Betty Pie Pies time. Okay, so the wording's a little bit freeform because I tried to keep the original essence of the question as much as possible without editing. So it might be a bit rambling. We might have to extrapolate a meaning from it. But bear with me. So after watching PWG on three occasions now, uh, where wrestlers come in from different, like, parts of the world different organizations and face each other in like indie dream matches and such mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on the concept that for a match to be truly great it's got to have people be in the same promotion and therefore build stories through non-in-ring well in-ring and non-in-ring stuff like you have to set the table with previous events promo packages and the like or can people can you just get wrestler a from mexico wrestler b from austria put them in the ring and if they're good enough they will create something which can sit at the top table or break into our mutual top five um, it depends on what you're looking for, obviously. Uh, I think it's there's no reason why you can't. Um, like, when you go into a film, you're going in cold, as opposed to watching a continuous TV series. And they both can be... Part I don't know, on the bus um, sequels, you had, you had a bit of context, and there was a TV series, and, and they're cinematic classics. You, you, you jest, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I understand where the question comes from, and I think that's probably in a reaction to our discussions on PWG. And, uh, like we were saying, that sort of exhibition shop window nature of it. Um, I I don't know, because we we don't understand the build-up of half of these New Japan matches, really. Or we don't get some context to it. So even though we don't get the full context, we can still adore the match itself. Of course, it, it, it helps to have an emotional investment as to the ongoing narrative of pro wrestling. But no, I don't think it's impossible. I think, um, like, some of the great matches to audiences start with two wrestlers who are cold to them, but maybe known to others. So, again, it depends where you're looking from. So you look well, at we EC- just kind of just well, you look at ECW, about- like uh, Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko, or uh, yeah. Masato Tanaka and Mike Awesome, or Super Crazy and Yoshihiro Tajiri, or Rey Mysterio Jr. against Psychosis. And to that NXT Chicago crowd, I think is a perfect example. There must have been tons of guys, tons of guys and gals there who didn't know who those two were, who just hadn't caught the UK Championship matches, and by the end of it, they were going ape shit. So I think that's kind of a, a point proven almost to that. There will be people mm, in that I'd crowd also... who didn't know who either of those two are that after that will have said that's a five star wrestling match in their eyes. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from, and I'd like to put in a couple of examples of my own, just from my own personal experience. Uh, the Cruiserweight Classic's a great example, because mm. I hadn't watched... This is back when like my field... Because one of the great reasons I keep saying it about this pro- for doing this project was to broaden my horizons, which I'm, I'm so glad it has done. You're um, but one of the ways <laughs> I initially like, dipped my toe into the water of broadening my horizons was the Cruiserweight Classic. I saw mm. people I, I hadn't seen before. Mm. Uh, I think we all did. Um, quite frankly, especially Cedric Alexander. Oh Jesus! Some of these wrestlers are better to watch the first time than every time subsequent to that. I don't think Jack Gallagher was ever more popular than that first couple of matches he had in the Cruiserweight Classic, where all of his shtick was yeah. new to people. You know, 
Yeah, no, no, he was quite a fresh thing there. And I, I mean, I, I keep I, I going back to that. That said, that Cedric Alexander match was beautiful. Mm. It's just great wrestling. Um, so yeah, and my think, other I example would Sorry, would be uh, to say All Japan as well because. Mm. I didn't know who Masanobu Fushi was. Yeah. No, I bloody do now. Um, you know, I, I, I knew about, obviously, Misawa. I, I knew about Kabashi. I hadn't seen a lot of them. And even though, yes, we did see their matches on several occasions, mm. and we did infer, obviously, from the storyline that was so so well conveyed, yeah. we didn't see, like, any New Japan, All Japan promo packages. Yeah. Or all the YouTube clips we um, other streaming platforms are available, of course. But all all the clips that he used to watch the matches starts with the ring announcements, and that's it. There's no, you know, uh, glossy Kevin Dunn produced like promo package or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think ult- where I would ultimately stand is. You can have a perfect match with no prior knowledge, but it's a lot easier if you do. Yeah. For everyone oh, involved. It's possible, you're right, but it, I, I would agree with you. It is incredibly difficult, and there are precious few people who have ever wrestled who could probably do it. But I also imagine for a lot of people, maybe their favourite ever match will very often be one of the first matches they see. You know? So as much as that's as much maybe down to the spectacle of wrestling that they haven't experienced before, mm. I don't know. But that's where I stand on this, Simon. I don't know if you would uh, add or or subtract from my opinion. No, no, I think I agree from the uh, on the most part. Um, one of the things I would say is obviously I've spoken about it already in this episode and throughout the series. Is one of the things that I like is that indefinable, indistinguishable X factor. Mm. And I think for a match to be cold in terms of like no storyline development, you would have definitely have to have that. And it takes the right chemistry. It takes the stars to align to get that. Mm. Like you, you, in theory, you can put something on paper and we have seen that um, throughout booking history matches, which on paper would have been phenomenal. But just for whatever reason, either didn't work or just didn't resonate with the crowds. Uh, Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan in WWE is a great example of that. Mm. Like the house shows just weren't feeling it, so mm. they had to re rejig WrestleMania. Yeah, uh, I think that's as much Vince Man getting cold feet as anything, because Bash of the Beach '96 did put '94 did perfectly well. <laughs> so yeah, you know, again, you, you got to be careful with the WWE propaganda on these things. I just want to give you a a little stat to end on. Uh, Just as we're about to go into 2018, we've had our first match with Jericho Omega on the 4th of January. Uh, That will be one of... Let me just see now. That will be one of... 18 matches from the year of 2018 that Dave Meltzer gives five stars to. Oh, boy. Averaging one and a half every month. Just to give you an idea, in 2017... I couldn't even get four stars. So if we just go from four and a quarter stars to his top rating of six and a quarter stars, how many matches from 2017 do you think Dave Meltzer gave those ratings from four and a quarter stars to six and a quarter stars? 
Okay, so in 2017, I know it's at least 31 because you've given me five and above and four and three quarters. Uh, I am going to go 42. Higher. 53. Higher. 54. Higher. Okay, I'm not going to do it sequentially. 60. Higher. 65. Higher. Bloody hell, 70. Higher. 82. Higher. 87. Higher. 90. Higher. Just tell me. 127 matches. We're given four and a quarter stars or higher for the year of 2017. I am so glad you told me because we would be still be here now. How many matches do you think we're given that in 2018? Do you think more or less? More or fewer? <sighs> The fact you've... I don't know if this is one of those, like, trick questions you get in, like, on a quiz machine. I don't know if you're trying to goad me into saying less. But I'm going to fall for it. I'm going to say less. 134. Oh! And like I said, we will be covering a lot of those matches. The first of which, Simon, is what? Uh, the, the it one, is. Sorry, but the first of the next batch of matches. It's two new, um, it's two new entrants to the list. It is Johnny wrestling himself, Johnny Gargano, challenging for the NXT Championship against Andre Cien Almas. NXT? Take over Philadelphia. Yes. That's something to look forward to. But until then, there's nothing left to say except my name's Lorcan Mullen. If you want to get in touch with me, it's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for annual, N for new groundbreaking records. <laughs> That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you want to get in touch with me via email, put an at gmail.com at the end of it. Simon, how can people get in touch with you? People can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of times I've said in this episode, as I've previously mentioned throughout this series. Um, you can get in touch with the show on lmtyspod at gmail.com. If you remove the at gmail.com, that is at Twitter handle. Lorcan, do you have anything else to say? Anything else? I have to, nothing uh... else to say except my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five star, six star, six and a quarter star, five and three quarter star. Whatever rating you want to have, have it this time until the next time.